Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 166 for October 16th, 2008, Cross-Site Request Forgery. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. And by GoToMeeting. For a month of unlimited online meetings absolutely free, go to gotomeeting.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers security uh, on Windows and Mac and Linux and on the Internet, particularly lately these days. Steve Gibson is our host from GRC.com, the man who discovered spyware, coined the term, has done so much to aid security with with free programs he's put on his site, GRC.com, and of course the creator of SpinWrite, which is the ultimate disk recovery and maintenance utility. Hello, Steve. Hey, Leo. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, big Windows update came out today. We record or yesterday, I guess we record this on Wednesdays. And uh yesterday my my all my systems reset themselves. Yeah, I've got mine. I I'm just I guess I'm still not willing to completely give up control. So I have many set to advise but don't but neither download nor install. Um, cause uh, I just, well, cause I don't want my systems doing what you just, you know, yeah. said yours did. So, well, you know, we did, we do reruns overnight of the uh, shows. And of course, uh, the, naturally the machine that was, uh, that was doing the reruns, uh, reset itself, you know, rebooted at 3 AM. <laughs> it's interesting. Microsoft has indicated that they're going to start indicating for each of these different problems, which they're fixing, whether the, uh, it's like a new class of of um information you know how we have you know critical and important right. and i don't know why I'm, you know and the less you know the the things of less concern they're going to be adding a new parameter uh consistent exploit code likely inconsistent exploit oh. code likely or functioning exploit code unlikely wow and the goal is to help Sys administrators, you know, uh, you know that. Well, I guess individuals, but mostly corporate IT people, get some sense of prioritization. Like, okay, what's the priority I need to give to this? You know, of course, our advice to our listeners is, you know, stay current on all this. But, but you know, I guess I, if there's no exploits uh, in the wild, I presume that's what you're. What that? What that code? The red light, yellow light, green light means. It's are there code? Yep. Is there exploits in the wild? Right. To give. Yeah, exactly. To give you some sense for, oh, the urgency of like disrupting everything else going on in order to not stop everything and and install the update. So that's a good thing. Hey, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today's topic has an interesting genesis. Um, A couple weeks ago, I think it might have been Q&A before last. um, I screwed up one of the answers. Um, I was, when I was preparing the questions, I was, I was putting them together and there was, there was a question that was 
had too big an answer for me to deal with, but I thought, okay, that's fine. Um, we'll give it its own show. And um, I, I thought, okay, let me just update myself on this. Maybe I'll throw some anecdotes in. And what I saw on the web confused me and made me think that I was wrong about this particular bit of jargon. And I don't remember if the phone rang or I got distracted or I lost my place or something. But the next thing I knew, you were asking me the question. And <laughs> I, whoops, I gave the answer that I had that I didn't think was right. But what I had just seen had convinced me that I was wrong. Mm. And it turns out. Well, you what I said better. was wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah, what I said was wrong, and I knew better. But then I like ah, and I was like deer in the headlights. Anyway, so the question a couple weeks ago was, Steve, what is cross-site request forgery? And I incorrectly said, oh, it's pretty much the same as cross-site scripting, which we've already covered in detail. So next question, please. Right. Well, what I should have said is, oh. That's really interesting and really important, but it's too big for it to be you know, one of 12 answers on a Q&A. It needs its own week. Well, that week is this week. Cross-site request forgery on the next <laughs> security now. <laughs> wow. Okay. I would have just said, oh, that's the same thing as cross-site scripting. Uh, no big yeah, deal. The only thing they have in common are the words cross and site. As usual. Fooled, Other than that, fooled by nomenclature. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I bet I, I, I'm 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 guessing when you make a mistake, you hear about it. Um, I don't remember if I heard anything. Interesting. About it. People, like, yeah, people. You know, first of all, it's fairly obscure, I imagine, but also people really uh, trust you, and so. But you know what I love about it, uh, Steve, is that you are you're absolutely committed to uh, you know your integrity is un, unassailable, and you're just you know, hey, let's fix it. Oh, I'd much rather be right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, let's so, get it right. And it's been bugging me for a couple of weeks. And I've been waiting. This is the first slot we've had because we've had, you know, various other emergencies right. things. So right. it's like, OK, fine. Now we're going to we're going to get this straight. We will fix it. Before we <laughs> and yes. before that, we got a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. There's so, some interesting security stories, uh, some security news and stuff. So it's going to be a great a great hour. All right. Well, before we do that, let me bring up uh, our, our great sponsor, Staro. Been with us for two plus years now, practically since the beginning of the show. I have to go back. I keep saying this and I, I can never do it and see when they first started with us. They've come a long way as long as as, as far as we have in some senses, because Astaro uh, is the now definitive unified threat management system. The Astaro security gateway is in version seven. And let me tell you something, this thing is a doozy. If you want ultimate protection at your uh, workplace, if you're in charge of uh, security for your uh, place of business, you've got to know about ASG, the Astaro Security Gateway. Astaro Security Gateway combines the best of open source and commercial software to absolutely protect you uh, in all aspects of security, including email security, you've got any spin nowadays. Email security is really, really important. That really is the vector that brings these bad guys into your system. Anti-spam, anti-phishing, dual virus protection for email. Uh, they also have web filtering, content filtering, antivirus for the web, anti-spyware. Uh, complete control over what your users do, including instant messaging and peer-to-peer. Of course, you'd, as you'd expect, a great firewall, the best in the business, remote access uh, via VPN, intrusion protection. Let me say that again, remote access via uh, 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 VPN via SSL. So you've got uh, IPsec, L2TP over IPsec, and PPTP tunneling with SSL. 
which is really great. It makes it so easy to use a VPN. They also have transparent email encryption and decryption using state-of-the-art standards, S-MIME and OpenPGP. That means that your users can have their mail automatically signed. They can have their mail uh, automatically encrypted without even knowing about it. Really great for security. Completely scalable. Up to 10 Astaro security gateways can be uh, combined for low distribution using their, they call it active-active clustering. That eliminates the need for additional load balancers. I mean, I could go on and on. Let me just tell you, the best thing to do, get a free demo unit in your place of business. Call 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. That's toll free, 877-427-8276. And the Staro Security Gateway will be winging its way to you for a free trial. Everybody's going to be very impressed with what you could do with the Astaro Security Gateway. 877-4-ASTARO. And if you're a non-commercial entity or you just want to try it right now, go to astaro.com slash security now. A-S-T-A-R-O dot com slash security now. You can download it. VMware has an appliance. You could try it that way, too, which makes it really easy to try it in a virtual machine. I love them. A-S-T-A-R-O, astaro.com. We thank them so much for their support of security now. So uh, before we get into cross-site Request forgery or CSRF. Let's. Uh, is there any news? There's. It's got to be some security oh, news. Got news coming out our ears. Lots of fun <laughs> stuff right. too, and and some uh, something of a bizarre story that our listeners are going to love. Okay, first of all, Opera has had a major um, update from the last version I had before nine point six was nine point five one. They jumped it to nine point six because there were some serious critical remote code exploits found. So I wanted to make sure that anyone using Opera, the, the five people out there. Um, <laughs> now, now, with, let's not be <laughs> snarky. <laughs> Opera is a good browser. A lot of people love it. Yeah, it is. And and there are we have some vocal convincing right. people in our in our news groups who are total opera people. I just I'm I'm Mr. Born Again Firefox guy. I know now. you are. So, it's so funny. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm converted. I've seen the light. So, um, so I want to let any opera people know to, uh, that they want to make sure they move up to 9.6. And these exploits are the, the, the detailed, um, the exploit details are in the wild and are loose and being exploited. So this is, you know, they're anti-opera, but, you know, someone felt it was worth doing and it's been done. So it's, you know, you want to make sure you get yourself updated. Speaking of updates, we're recording on... Well, you and I are recording on the 15th for the podcast on the 16th, and on the 14th, Tuesday, was the second Tuesday of October. So, wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> October. Yeah. Um, and Microsoft did 11 bulletins. It was a mega patch Tuesday. Sometimes we only have a couple. This time was 11, covering everything from Windows and Active Directory, Internet Explorer, Office, uh, and their host integration server, I mean, just across the board, four of which are critical. So, again, I wouldn't uh, discriminate. I would want to let, make sure everyone knows that they don't have themselves set to automatically have their machines reboot, as you do, Leo. Um, <laughs> they, will, they definitely want to, you know, check for updates and, uh, um, and install those. And I did mention uh, at the top of the show that there's, Microsoft will be introducing this notion in addition to like critical and important they like the the severity rating they're coming up with something different for each update called an exploitability index and I'm not 
exactly cure um, exactly clear on on what it means um they say it's a three te- a three step scale that will accompany each flaw addressed the added information is intended to help users and administrators prioritize the patches and so it's like okay well it would seem to me that you want to if you're going to patch you want to patch but i guess if yeah, and so there's consistent exploit code likely inconsistent exploit code likely i'm not sure what that means consistent or inconsistent um maybe like would would an av catch it if it was consistent but if it's inconsistent i, I just don't well, know yeah, that's i don't in- know what inconsistent means in this context yeah I mean that, but that's verbatim what Microsoft is calling maybe, it. Maybe it's not like um, uh, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, well, maybe but, reliable. Maybe, and, but reliable was like ah. an, an annoying word. So, like, you yeah, know, you don't want to be reliable if you're a bug. <laughs> so they're saying the exploit sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work. Maybe that, that, that's maybe exactly that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So you can either have a reliable exploit, an unreliable exploit, right. or functioning exploit code unlikely. That makes sense. So See, I would prefer that they said widespread in the wild, not, you know, seen occasionally in the wild or not in the wild at all. That's much more usable. Yeah, but that changes with time. So they couldn't true. declare it and then, you know, have it suddenly not be true any longer. Yeah, no, okay. So I, so I think, I, I mean, it does from a technical standpoint, given that we change their use of the word consistent to reliable. reliable. And I think that really that says but is it, that you know? the information that a uh, an IT manager needs to know whether to apply that patch. If it's not a reliable exploit, do I worry less about it? No, probably they just need to get the URL for downloading FreeBSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> That's the first thing I've heard you say in a long time uh, along those switch, lines. Switch to Firefox. Yeah, yeah. Switch to Firefox. Yeah. Okay. Um, many people may have received a note from their friends or um, or directly the spam. There is, I wanted to mention, a malware-laden spam that pretends to be an important Windows security update. And so that's just been going around in the last Ugh. week. Microsoft so, you know, does not use email to send its updates. Exactly. Come ever, on, ever, ever. Come on, guys. Okay, now. In the most fun story, oh wait, I'm I'm gonna I I wanted to mention something that I ran across when I was uh, scanning um, email from for our last Q and A, Leo, um, and th- this is Jeff Stuckey in in Fort Payne, Alabama. He, he said, Steve, I could not contact Leo, but I set up the free Audible account using your code, and imagine my surprise when the book Leo has been recommending everyone to receive as their first free Audible book was not free for me. Because I only get one credit with the free account, and Audible has set Neil Stephenson's book oh, as required. NFM is more than one because it's huge. Okay, so okay. I do a little fudge word. I don't. I say you get a credit toward a free book. I don't say you get a free book. Ah, okay, Most good. books are one credit. Really long books are two credits. So okay. um, yeah. So what you get is a credit. Just to be clear, you get a credit toward a free book. Gotcha. Which in most well, cases no, is an entire. A free, you get a free credit. Free credit toward a, book. toward a book. Yeah, that's that's a okay. better way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Now, in the neat story of the week, um, and this is just bizarre, um, uh, and this is from uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal that was picked up by by several different outlets. European law enforcement officials uncovered a highly sophisticated credit card fraud ring that funnels account data to Pakistan from hundreds of grocery store credit card reading machines oh, boy. 
across Europe, according to U.S. intelligence officials and other people familiar with the case. Wait, wait till you hear the details. Specialists say the theft technology is the most advanced they have seen. And a person close to British law enforcement said it has affected big retailers, including a British unit of Walmart stores and Tesco Limited. The account data has been used to make repeated bank withdrawals and Internet purchases, such as airline tickets in several countries, including the U.S. Investigators haven't pinpointed the culprits. Early estimates of the losses range from $50 million to $100 million. Boy. But the figure could grow, said the person close to British law enforcement. The scheme uses untraceable devices inserted into credit card readers that were made in China. The oh, device. Wow. Oh, wait, wait, Leo. This is just amazing. The devices selectively send account data by a wireless cell connection to computer servers in Lahore, Pakistan. Amazing. And constantly change the pattern of theft so it is hard to detect, the officials said. And then, quote, pretty small but intelligent criminal organizations are pulling off transactional multi-continent heists that only a foreign intelligence service would have been able to do a few years ago, said Joel Brenner, the U.S. government's top counterintelligence officer. U.S. intelligence officials, including senior national security agency officials, are monitoring the case in part because of its ties to Pakistan, which has become home to a resurgent al-Qaeda. The scheme comes on the heels of the August indictment of a fraud ring that stole more than 40 million credit card numbers from U.S. companies. Um, It says, examining the store's credit card readers, investigators discovered a high-tech bug tucked behind the motherboard. It was a small card containing wireless communication technology. The bug would read the individual's swiped card number and and the corresponding PIN, the personal identification number, then repackage and store the data. The device would once a day call a number in Lahore, Pakistan, to upload the data to servers there and obtain instructions on what to steal next. Wow, that's terrible. This is amazing. It turns out the only easy way to detect this from the outside is if you weigh a a bugged and a non-bugged machine. The bugged ones are a few ounces heavier than the unbugged ones. That's the only way is to weigh it? Well, you could take it all apart and then, t- I mean, literally take it all apart so, and have to take the motherboard out and look underneath the motherboard to the, see this thing. This little parasite had been hooked in to the bottom of the motherboard. So these are put in at chi- time of manufacture? Well, presumably afterwards. Somehow, like, the shipment was intercepted. You know, you wouldn't imagine that the manufacturer was doing it. And apparently not all of the machines had this. So it makes more sense that it wasn't, you know, blanket manufacturing installed it was you know some sort of an interception of this in shipment that had these things added but this is you know serious technology so it had yet you would have had to have the design in detail the design and firmware probably of the the reader so have complete design knowledge of that then design a custom daughter board that is able to literally piggyback on to this the, the reader's motherboard getting power and intercepting data and you know passively and then have have local storage 
and then be able to you know make a data connection, a cellular data connection, and um, and then transfer the data, and also because it's bidirectional, receive updated instructions for like whether its behavior should change. Um, in one of the stories um, that, that I read about this, apparently a guard noted that he, there was some interference on his cell phone at certain times of day. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Good on him. Yeah. And so somehow they like pieced the, the bits and clues together and zeroed in on where this problem had to be. And it turns out it's these darn little little grocery store readers were phoning home, literally. Wow, that's a very sophisticated. I expect it's almost like science fiction, but I expect we're going to see more and more of this. There's so much money uh, to be had here that yeah. there's a lot of incentive to do this. Yeah, this is where organized crime is headed. You know, it's to much more sophisticated technically. Yep. Wow. Exactly. Amazing. And I have a fun and interesting spinrite story to share. Fire away. Um, this was a, sort of a fun one. This was, you know, spinrite subject to spinrite save the day. It's like okay from. Um, I don't think he's a listener, uh, Ron Webb. And he says, I first purchased Spinrite 6 over four years ago after I had heard a, a segment from Leo Laporte. I can't remember what show Leo was doing at the time. I've used it a couple times, but don't recall the circumstances and totally forgot that I, you know, about it and that I owned it. Huh. Fast, fast forward now four years. And my father told me he had a computer problem. He'd arrived home after being gone, finding that there had been a power outage I guess his clocks were flashing and his desktop would not restart. His desktop computer would not restart after the power failure. He could get the typical splash page of Windows XP, but it would immediately reboot going through this process over and over, which, you know, we've we've heard time and time yes, again. Yes, yes, yes. It would ask if he wanted to start in safe mode, but even that would not work. It would just reboot again. I tried to walk him through the process of repairing Windows XP by booting up via CD when we eventually got, and I, and I take it from the context of this, this was over the phone, when we eventually got to the portion of selecting the Windows partition to repair, instead of saying there was a Windows XP professional installation, it reported an unknown partition type. I knew this sounded odd, so I told my dad to bring me his computer. He lives a couple of hours from here, out in the country. I live in Roseville, California. And you'll find out why in a minute I'm jealous of Roseville, California. <laughs> okay. He said, with a Fry's Electronics store. Okay, now that's not why. I'm, uh, that's I, a good reason. <laughs> I've, I've got one of those, too. He says, but he says, in case I had to buy some hardware to fix the problem. And uh, I have 20 megabits fiber-based internet. Oh, wow. That's annoying. <laughs> uh, more than I have at level three. You know, and this thing probably costs him, what, you know, I wonder if he has bucks. Fios. He's, does he say Verizon uh, no, did, Fios? didn't, but wow, 20 I wouldn't megabits. beat all Yeah, wow. Ooh. Maybe. He says, and so he said, um, instead of his dad's sub one megabits satellite service, because dad's clearly out in the boonies somewhere. And so he said, in case I had to download something. So the, the point is, he had his dad bring the machine to him for, for reasons of the convenience of, the, of his location compared to his dad's location, instead of you know him going there. So last Sunday, we made arrangements for my dad to come today. He says, on Thursday... I happened to be in Fry's Electronics and overheard a gentleman asking a salesperson a question about hard drives that the salesperson was clueless about. I interrupted and started talking. 
And I don't know if you've done that, Leah, but I have. Excuse like, me. Uh, you're an idiot. Stand back. <laughs> Stand back. I have, I have, I have a better it. idea. <laughs> so he says, I interrupted and started talking to the gentleman um, and came to a solution to his issue. But in the meantime, he asked whether I ever used Spinrite. I had not thought of Spinrite in years, despite purchasing the software in 2004. Wow. I immediately thought of using it for my father's computer, but I had no idea what I had done with the software or where it was. But since I used Gmail as my email address, I looked through my email archives and found my Spinrite purchase transaction code. Using that code, I was able to instantly re-download the software after four years and burned a CD. Oh, isn't that nice? You have such a good system for that. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with the way yeah. our system works. Um, and burned a CD for working on my father's computer. Spinrite ran for one and a quarter to one and a half hours to complete and found several errors. It marked one part with a red block and a U, but otherwise everything seemed to work. I rebooted the computer without the CD in it, and Windows XP loaded without any issues. Windows did want to run a hard drive integrity test upon starting, which I allowed, but no further problems. I was then able to perform many other maintenance issues using other software, but I was so relieved to know that Spinrite 6.0 had saved the day. I did not need to go purchase more hardware. I had already purchased the software many years ago. It was for this reason I wanted to write to say thank you for your software and for your licensing of software, allowing me to re-download and use it at any time in the future. That's a great and, success. You know, it is a, it's a cool thing about the e-commerce system that I wrote, is I give people a, a, a cryptographic string, which is unique for every, for every purchase. And as long as they don't lose that... They are entitled anytime, anywhere to grab a copy of Spinrite wherever they are off the net and use it to, to save themselves. So um, it's, a, it's a really nice, handy feature. You must be very proud of yourself, young man. <laughs> well, thank well, you for the nice note. For I will be more proud once I have cor- corrected my mistake from several Q&As ago. Well, we're going to do that in just a second. Okay. Don't get into too big a hurry. We are going to talk about what what is it again? G <laughs> cross site request forgery. C S R F. And you won't forget it, Leah, once you learn what it is. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Is it is it reliable? <laughs> it's, <laughs> that, it's that's consistent. what I want to know. Is it reliable? It's consistent. <laughs> All right. Right now though, we want to mention go to meeting. A chance for you to get thirty days free of this incredible technology. We've talked about go to meeting before. It's from the folks at Citrix. Uh, they do the great go to my PC. They know remote access better than anyone else. And they really came up with, when they came up with GoToMeeting, a great way to use remote access. Uh, how many times have you been in a situation where, you know, you, you've been on a conference call and there's a guy on the other end or a group on the other end and you can tell that you're losing them. They're playing Tetris. They're checking their email. They're texting their girlfriend. They're not paying any attention to what you're saying. And that's because, I mean, frankly, that's what happens on conference calls. There's nothing to grab your eye. There's nothing to keep you engaged. You know, that's why when you go on a sales call, you bring a PowerPoint presentation. You bring, you know, samples. You bring something for people to grab onto. But how do you do it when you're not meeting in person? Go to meeting. Go to meeting. It means you can basically be as effective as meeting in person without the cost, the expense of driving all over the place or flying all over the place. Go to me. Here's how it works. You set it up on your computer 
wherever you, you're going to have the meeting from. It takes about two minutes, so it's really easy. Just go to gotomeeting.com slash security right now. Before I'm through talking, you'll be ready. Go to meeting.com slash security now. You, you go there and you install the software. Now, when you're on a conference call, you can do it ahead of time if you want. You, in fact, it has great integration with Outlook, so you can just click and send an invitation. But let's say you're on this conference call, you're losing them. You say, wait, wait, hold on, let me show you. And you tell them, go to gotomeeting.com, G-O-T-O meeting.com. They go there, they say, whoa, they're seeing your screen. They're seeing your PowerPoint. You say, let me show you. Let me show you the drawings. Let me show you how we carved a Macintosh out of a brick of aluminum. Whatever it is that you want to show them, they're seeing it. They're engaged with it. It's, it's, it's fun. You can give them control when you're collaborating. Great for training, too. So working together, uh, training or sales, no matter what you're doing. I think, I'll tell you what, try it free for 30 days. You're going to come up with a lot of new ways to use GoToMeeting. Go to gotomeeting.com slash security now. You'll get 30 days of unlimited online meetings, absolutely free, a chance to try it out and see what it can do for your business. Your clients will love it. Your colleagues will love it. Your boss will love it. It's worth a raise. Go to meeting.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of security now. Go to meeting. All right, Steve, here's your chance to make good. Make good. It sounds like it wasn't too bad. I mean, you know, you just kind of brushed it off and said, oh, cross-site request forgery that's what i would have said that's eh, kind of like cross-site scripting uh well i knew better and uh it's been like i said it's been bugging me for weeks so now we fix it you're a man of honor steve gibson well um and it's well and on top of that i mean instead of my just being wrong it's really important that we discuss it it had been on my list of things to talk about which was what i had intended just to say was you know this is too big for a q a but thanks for bringing it up we're going to we're going to give right. it its own episode so, okay, I've talked many times about my eh, annoyance from a security standpoint about the way users send data back to servers. Remember, we've talked about how, you know, the, the net was initially, the, the web, sorry, the World Wide Web was initially sort of a browse these pages that other people have put together and with with the so-called web 2.0 evolution it's become far more participatory where where browsers are now able you know um users are posting comments to blogs um there's on online forums i mean you know virtually you know calendaring i mean obviously webmail all kinds of things are now really fully interactive to the point where we've got applications which are being delivered and managed and run over the net well, the the mechanism for sending data back to servers is sort of a, an awkward extension of the mechanism for 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 making a request. When our browser issues a so-called get request, there's two types of requests. Well, three if you count head, but that that no one that that's not used for sending data. So there, there's get and post. Mm-hmm. A, a get request is exactly like what we see in a browser's URL. You know, it's you know www.grc.com/slash/something, and the and so that sends a the verb get to the HTTP server. That Does looks, it actually send the word get in all of yeah. this? It yeah, says the, the, capital letters G E T. Yes, all capital letters get is is the is, is the verb, and I've never seen it in non caps. So yeah, um, it's always caps. I mean, to the and, computer, it's just a it's some bytes, but 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 humans read it as get. Yes, yeah, exactly. 
And um, well, and, and in fact, you know, the whole the whole block of data, you know, for example, cookies will be sent and and it'll say it'll say, you know, cookie, C-O-O-K-I-E colon and then a space and then the cookies name and value pairs. So it can be whole, it's really instructive. You could set up a Telnet um, session and actually do this by hand and type these codes out and the, the browser will respond. Right. Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the remote server thinks, oh, OK, well, this is a slow browser, but G E T. I'm being told to get something. I've done that uh, diagnosing issues sometimes or you, I do it more with mail to diagnose mail issues. But you, you get you, this. All these headers are actually English. Right. Right. Exactly. So the whole thing is an English readable dialogue. And I mean, that's been handy Certainly for, you know, packet capturing, diagnosing problems. I mean, that's one of the nice things about the way that the net was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what was the, the first extension to this notion of get was that, you know, normally it'd be some path to a directory and then an asset like, you know, index.htm or HTML. Well, in order to add additional data... They they extend they extended the definition of get to so that a question mark would terminate the the asset description portion and anything after the question mark was considered parameter information that is you know parameters to the request and so there are on a web form you could have some fields which you fill in and a and a button which you you then click and the form the form data that is the form description literally it's an open it's a it's it's a less than sign than the word form one of the one of the pieces of data is action and that can either say get or post and so if the form said get then uh, then then essentially when you click the button the data that you filled into the form blanks is added to the end of the URL, which is specified in the form also. And it's sent just like a browser fetching a page, except that it's got the data you specified on the end of it. Now, the, that's, that's the get request way of sending data to a server. The post way is is different than that you can also use the post verb that is a browser can and a web form can and in that case the the data is not tacked onto the end of the url instead it's sent uh in individual lines at the in the actual um data of the request after all the headers so you have the you have the, the word post and then the URL and then various headers like cookie and what server and, and so forth, um, various parameters, then a blank line, and then, then the data that was provided by the user is sent. Now, that's much more commonly used today. For one reason, um, you, you're able to um, send much more data. It used to be for example, that well, there is there is a limit on the total length of a URL, which is not very long. So, for example, in today's world where you've got people sending whole, you know, forum um, commentaries that go on for pages, the post approach 
can accommodate that because you can have very, very long data elements, whereas you can't in a get approach because it's got to all fit sort of like on one line in the URL. Okay, so those are the two ways that that data is sent to the to a server. Now, remember also, though, that not only data is sent that way, anything we do is sent that way. Like when I am at Amazon and I'm looking at an item and I click the, you know, the Amazon's little, I think it's patented, their one-click button, I, you know, approach where you just click to buy it now. Mm-hmm. And because I'm logged in, I'm already known to Amazon, then I click that button and I just purchase something. Well, when that request goes to the server, which and it, 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 that clicking the button is, is a get request or a post request, just like any other thing I'm doing, the, it's, it's validated because whatever cookies Amazon has sent me before, which is the way I'm staying logged in as I move around Amazon's site, I'm all, my browser is always sending back the cookies that correspond to the site I'm at given that it has received some before and is configured to return them, as is the default case for all browsers. Um, So Amazon is able to verify when this request comes in because it's got the cookie that is, you know, represents my currently logged on session. And so it accepts it. And, you know, half an hour later, I get emails saying, okay, you've just purchased whatever this thing was. So imagine now something happening that you didn't intend. That is, you go to some third-party website, or you even are, you receive email, which you look at in Outlook. Um, In Outlook's default viewer, which is like IE, which is essentially a web page, and either a third-party website, or even email you receive, contains an image reference an image reference that is when your browser receives that image reference it issues a get request just like when you ask for a page so when we talked about how pages are built before we receive a web page it has a bunch of image tags in it and the and the web browser goes oh in order to finish displaying this page i need to get all of those other things so it issues a flurry of get requests, often back to the same site that's providing the rest of the content of the page, sometimes to third-party sites, as we talked about before, to pull advertisements in from advertising services. Anyway, whatever, it gets all of that data. Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible that the image is not an image at all. If the URL in an image tag is a get request saying get a certain like purchase with one click a certain product from Amazon my computer will send the Amazon cookie that represents me and my currently logged on session along with that request and Amazon will accept it just as if I were visiting there and clicked that button Okay. Amazon sees no difference. Yeah. So it turns out that the the problem is this notion of persistent 
log on. Essentially, anywhere I go can can ask my browser to get things or or using some JavaScript post things um, to any other site. For example, um, there was a um, there was uh, a site called Metafilter. Actually, there is a site called Metafilter.com, which is a, a popular blogging site. Yeah, it's a link site. It's great. Yeah, exactly. And and it turns out that the way their email management goes, if you're logged in and authenticated, you want to change your email address. You um, you simply say, you know, you click a link that says, I want to change my email address. And it asks you for your new email address. You know, that makes sense because you've already authenticated yourself beforehand and you're able to do that. Um, then, and there's another facility on the site where you say, um, I forgot my password. Please email it to me. Mm. And we've seen those all the time too. You click, I forgot my password and they email it. Right. So um, it turns out that it's entirely possible for a site you visit to take over your MetaFilter account, um, literally by displaying, by attempting to display two images. The first image that it, it sends to your browser tells your browser that you want to change your email address, and it changes it to an attacker's email address. Wow. Then the second image displayed says, I forgot my password. Please email it to me. And it emails your password to the new, newly changed email address. And at that point, the attacker has everything that they need to log in as you. And that the reason that func- that reason that works is that that your browser has a, an established relationship with MetaFilter, such that you're not being constantly asked to reauthenticate, and nobody wants to be constantly. I mean, literally, with every single thing you did, you would have to constantly reauthenticate. Well, the the it's a little bit harder if if sites use post verbs rather than get verbs. But it turns out that many very popular application packages they they sort of um, they um, encapsulate the specifics of incoming data. They abstract the get and the post so that the data can come in through any mechanism, either get or post, and the application framework, which many sites are now built on, doesn't see the difference. So it turns out that even though the pages on the site may use the may use the more formal and and more you know slightly more secure post approach many sites still accept the get verb and any image tag is able to take advantage of that in order to exploit the trust that 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 target sites have of you and your browser again because when your browser sends the request it appends the cookie for that, that that authenticates the, the 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 request to the target site. Now, um, it turns out that there's there's been all kinds of sort of horsing around exploits of this. There there were, for example, there were there were 
dig stories that dug themselves. Oh, wow. when When you read the story, embedded in it was a link an image tag. It's an invisible image, though, right? Yeah, it's an yeah. invisible image yeah. that that would cause you to dig the story. Oh, that's and so sneaky. they jacked themselves up in that way. Um, ing direct. This 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 exploit has fixed has been fixed. Otherwise, I couldn't I couldn't talk about it publicly. But sure. ing direct is that is is big bank. Um, big bank. They they were the fourth largest savings bank in the U.S. Some time ago, I don't know how big they are today. It's been a rough month here in the United yeah, States. No kidding. Um, okay, but you know, and they're the people they 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 advertise with a big orange sphere right. is like their logo. Okay, ING Direct had the the way their system worked. You were able to open a new account. So 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 you know, a user a user logs in and says, "I want to open a new account," and so you press a button to open a new account. You you then choose to create a single new account. You then choose an initial balance for that account to have, and then you you are at, you're able to add any other ing account as a payee on that account, and you can transfer money from your existing account to, to the new account and confirm transfer. It turns out that none of that required. Any interaction that is that set that sequence of steps is completely performed wow. and can be performed by a set of blind queries to the ing server. And this was an exploit that was that has been verified. Um, ing was informed and they fixed it. But until that was done, you could literally um, visit. A malicious site, and maybe, for example, one that had used cross-site scripting to to be infected, like like a a, a, a site affiliated to ING, where so there was a, a high likelihood that ING customers would also go to this site. So that site had a cross-site scripting vulnerability that allowed an attacker to install JavaScript on that site. Any ING customer then who went to that site would would cause JavaScript to download in, into their browser. Their browser would dutifully execute the JavaScript, which would which simply issue a series of blind post commands to the ING server. It would clone an account off of yours, transfer a dollar, set up the a, a, a the hacker's ing account as an as a payee on your account then empty your account into that second newly created account that the that, that the new guy was a payee on confirm that you wanted the transfer and send the money to them do we know how much money was lost in uh, this exploit no they won't tell you no. Well, and here's the problem. I've given a couple examples. It turns out that this is this is regarded. The reason I wanted to talk about it, the reason I'd had it on my list to talk about is it's regarded as the sleeping giant problem yeah. of web 2.0 because it turns out that that you know the idea is it's exploiting the persistence of our relationship with 
sites we visit. Mm-hmm. The fact the fact that we're allowed to stay logged in over time. Now, defeating don't, don't this, banks usually uh, log you out uh, when you. Well, I guess they don't when you leave the page. You're still logged in. Oh yeah, if you come back some Ta- length of tabs and browsers are part of what causes the problem because people keep open tabs. So you may have a you may. I mean, I can't I can't close the window to my bank and go back and ha- and open it. I don't think. Okay, so that would mean that they were using a session cookie rather than than a, right. some sort of a assistant cookie, which would be prudent. Yes, 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 Ab- absolutely. <laughs> but and even it, with tabs, I'm still in a session when I'm tabbed to another window. So that's absolutely true. Until yeah. you actually shut down the browser, that's when it it loses the cookies that it never writes to a a, a permanent storage. So, so at this point. This kind of problem, cross-site request forgeries, have been used for various anecdotes. I mean, you know, for various, you know, mischievous purposes. But, but many sites today are vulnerable to this. It turns out it's not a horribly hard problem to solve. What you need to do is, that is what websites need to do, is, is not accept requests that don't have some sort of information that an attacker cannot know. For example, when a real web page displays the form, it ought to include a a hidden value, which is, you know, some sort of a cryptographically strong pseudo-random number string that is, you know, encrypted. And, And that hidden value will be sent back. It will accompany the post when you submit your data. That's all that's necessary in order to validate that it's a valid post because no third party would know how to generate a blind request that that contained the proper hidden value. And again, you can make it as long as you want to. So, you know, 128 bits, 256 bits encoded into ASCII. You know, we listeners to the show know all about how to do that now. So it's possible to engineer around this. And in fact, those frameworks that I talked about, like, you know, Ruby on Rails and and Cold Fusion and, and various ver- various frameworks, they could easily be enhanced to even make this the transition transparent so that they're adding this to outgoing forms. They're 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 strip they're comparing it and stripping it from incoming data and and validating that, that, that this is truly not a blind request. Because, you know, that's the challenge. But unfortunately, that hasn't been done today. And there are, I mean, there are more sites vulnerable to that, to this approach than not. I'm thinking, I I remember uh, putting a long uh, um, authorization key into WordPress, in my WordPress uh, setup. I think WordPress does this. They have auth key, secure auth key, logged in key. And it's a long random string that you generate when you set up your your blog that must be what that's for so does sound like there's something that they're doing which is you know needing those and then from that they are generating they're doing something with pseudo random data yeah yeah and you you know if you did a view of the page source you'd probably be able to see if there was like some quacky looking token that was part of the form submission that would be something that they had they had, they had included when the page was presented that, that your that your request would be sending back when it's being submitted. I bet you I bet you they're doing that. And that that's because your login is persistent 
to your admin uh, on your blog. So when you log into your blog, it remembers it. And the next time you go back, you're automatically logged in. So it would be very important for them to do that kind of protection, right? Well, it's very important for everybody to do yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> anywhere you have a persistent login. Really. And so so there are a couple takeaways. And I and believe it or not, there's even a Firefox plugin. Of course there is. You are a um, Firefox fan. I've been trying to get you to use Firefox for years. <laughs> well, I'm slow on the uptake, Leo. <laughs> Slowly but, but went what, over. I can remember I get... two years ago you saying, oh, no, I use Internet Explorer. I can lock it down. <laughs> you know, I, I think my greatest concern was compatibility. I right. just didn't want any compatibility problems. And I'm telling you, I'm using it exclusively the only times I have to, I mean, now it's sort of hard to fire up IE. I got to figure out how do I get IE running in order to like do Windows <laughs> update. That's great. But there's just no, no compatibility problems with Firefox. No, and I think it was, I think it was looking at the, at the percentage of people who were using it. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this thing must work. Yeah. I mean, Firefox must actually work. It's dominant now. I mean, if, you know, if you design a site that won't, doesn't work with Firefox, you know, you're going to. You find out about it you're real quick. hear about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. So, okay, two takeaways. The one is I would advise our listeners to explicitly log out when they're done using a site that they don't expect to come back to soon and or it's an important site. I mean, you you really you want to break that that authentication that your browser has so that you're not maintaining a persistent relationship. I mean, when I go back to eBay, it's, oh, welcome back, Steve. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's a problem. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you, you could, there, there could easily be an, e, an exploit that would cause me to be bidding on things that I don't want without ever going to eBay. I mean, I don't even have to go to eBay. The point is, any, any request my browser makes will have my current eBay cookie sent with it. And if that's still valid, that will be it will be taken by eBay's server that doesn't know otherwise as something I'm doing on their site. And the problem is that anything my browser or an email client using a web browser as its UI, anything it displays um, or any script it runs is as authentic as something I do. I mean, I now, I have so many bad habits. When I go to my bank, I just close the window. I don't log out. When I go exactly. to my broker, I close the window. I don't lock out. Um, that, this, is, this is not good behavior. So they always have a log out button. You're saying, use it. Use it. And yes. And there, there is, um, there, as I mentioned, there is a Firefox plugin. If you, strangely enough, the, the little built-in plugin finder in Firefox does not find it. So you need to manually enter it. Um, if you Google CSRF space protector, T-O-R, C-S as in cross-site request forgery, CSRF space protector, um, it's the first Mozilla link that comes up, and it's, it runs with Firefox 3. Uh, it's, got, it's got great reviews. What it does is it looks to see whether the request you're sending is coming from a third party. It's literally, it's like, it's very similar to third-party cookies. This is third-party requests. It checks to see whether it's a cross-site request forgery. It only can do it with post, with the post verb, because if it did it with the get verb, then 
no images would work that were coming from, from some other site. On the other hand, if you have an ad blocker, which blocks any third-party images, you're getting protection automatically from the, the, the get verb style of this exploit. But anyway, if I, I recommend, I commend to our, li- our listeners, if they're people who you know, are doing high-value things on the net, if they would prefer to stay logged in rather than having to log out all the time, um, and hoping that the site they're using is not vulnerable to get requests, which this CSRF protector will not, would de- deliberately does not protect you from because it would break too many other things, then uh, use Firefox 3 and the CSRF protector, and it will it po- uses the existing um, pop-up uh, blocking dialog um, when it detects this problem to let you know that you've just pr- been protected from a potential cross-site request forgery. So it, well, I'm going to ask you some questions about this because I, I want to understand what it does and what your recommendation is for protecting yourself. Before we do that, though, let, let me mention audible.com because I want to get this in before, uh, before the show wraps up. Audible, of course, is our sponsor. They do these great audio books. Audiblepodcast.com slash SN is the place to go if you want to sign up for audible.com. And as I said earlier, get a free credit toward a book. Now, in most cases, that's a book, but a I was recommending a very long book, Neil uh, Stevenson's Anathem, which is a couple of credits. I think there are even some three-credit books. It's based on length. So, uh, you know, if it takes you more than a month to read, then it's going to be a couple of credits. They have really done a great job on uh, the the uh, Audible Frontiers, the science fiction on Audible. It grows all the time. Too bad you can't get the first half for one credit. You know, and in then... some cases you can. Okay, cool. In some cases I think you can. Um you know, when you download it, you download it in pieces. They don't want to get, may force you to do a you know 400 megabyte download, so you download right. it in chunks. Um, but I think in some cases you can. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I'll have to look at it. Um, the science fiction uh, uh, se- selection there is so good now that if you're a sci-fi fan, and I know many of our listeners are, it is, it is the place to get audio sci-fi. And I love listening to sci-fi. Many of them are dramatized. This is better than watching sci-fi on TV or, li- or watching it in a movie. You are really living it when you're listening to it. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now is the URL. And I do want to mention an Audible exclusive that we have for the first time ever. Uh, and I think we're the only ones promoting this. And this is a new book called Metatropolis that Audible has put together. Uh, I am really enjoying it. Metatropolis, the idea, the premise of the whole thing was uh, they got five of the best science fiction authors together. These guys, in a group, created a world, a new world called Metatropolis. And then each wrote a novella situated in that world. It's a little bit of a dystopia, near future, after you know the climate change, after uh, economic collapse. It's actually very timely because <laughs> the, the big cities have failed. Uh, either like Miami, destroyed by massive hurricanes with, with you know incredible winds or or uh, floods or by economic meltdown but these little meta cities have have, have sprung up uh, i'm reading the first one uh, it's about it's called cascadiopolis and it's up in the it's up in the trees they live in the trees in the pacific northwest in you know the in the cascadia it's amazing i just got to i got to tell you uh, john scalzi edited it he's wrote wrote, wrote one of the um, uh, novellas elizabeth bear jay lake tobias buckel uh, carl schroeder and it's read by some great people including 
three of my favorite people from Battlestar Galactica. Now you can get the you can get the first one absolutely free, whether you're an Audible member or not, by going to uh, uh, audible.com/slash/twitmeta. T W I T M E T A. The first story is by Jay Lake. It's the one in Cascadiopolis. It's called In the Forests of the Night. I just finished it, and now I can't wait for the whole book to come out. Michael Hogan narrates it. Uh, Saul Tig from Battlestar Galactica, and I have to say, I love him in the in the show. You know, he's the guy with the eye patch, but he is a great actor, and he does such a good job of reading this. He really brings it to life. So this is another thing you can get in addition, absolutely free, even if you're already a member. So if you're not a member and you want to join, audiblepodcast.com slash security now, and you'll be able to get Metatropolis as a full book. Uh, I think it goes on sale on the 19th. And then and then if you want to get the free chapter, whether you're a member or not, the first novella, you can absolutely free uh, by going to uh, audible.com slash twitmeta. So I'm going to give it's like two things in one. And if you want to get Anathem, just join the darn Audible and, and get it. You know, get a gold membership, get a platinum membership. I know people have multiple platinum memberships, so they can get all those credits. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And we thank them uh, for their support of uh, security now. So I have this on the screen. It says SN. So I'm going to say security now instead of SN. But all you people listening at home, you got it right. I just don't know if security now fits. It, it's a little bit. It's a little bit tight on there. All right, back to Steve. Now, let me get this straight. So first of all, I want to write down this um, Firefox plugin. Now, you're saying, though, that it really would be good to get in the habit of just logging out of these sites. Yes. I mean, whether you have this plugin or not. The the overarching problem is this notion of persistent, the the, the persistent login. I mean, consider a way that the, the Internet could fix this. Well, yeah, remember that there, there's a way that sites could fix this if they simply use the key, right? A blind, right. a blind request. And that's what Ing, I presume, did to fix their their exploit. Yes. And, and you know, there are some there, there, I mean, this is something it hasn't been getting enough attention. So it's one of the other reasons I wanted <laughs> no to bring it up was, no was to, to say, look, you know, this is a fundamental problem with the the the, the client server browser server you know user persistent credential and this is not just with cookies you know the the uh, the htlm um i mean the uh the 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 standard um uh authentication well like you you, you go to a, a um a website and it prompts you for a username and password with a little pop-up box right that's standard http authentication and then what happens is your browser then continues to provide that authentication right. with every request you make. Right. So that that's the same. Anytime you've got a, an existing relationship between your browser and a site. And you have then, automatic login where you don't have to pop up a window. People love that, though. I mean, who wants to type your password every it, single time? It is convenient. Now, consider, though, it's the, the, the vulnerability would be the same, sort of, as like you walking away from your computer right. and... Anyone having access to your computer, because if I were logged in, as I said, like, for example, to to eBay, somebody could come up and just do stuff. And there's and there's no way that eBay knows that's not me. We know that when you use a public computer, you always log out and close the browser. Right. And so (laughs) that reason. But but nobody's thinking that, oh, gosh, I could go to a malicious website and it now could log in, you know, and go to that site without even me knowing it. 
Exactly. There's no nothing visual happens because it's all happening between script and the remote server, and it automatically um, it it's it's sometimes it's called session hi, hijacking, but also session writing. It's okay. it's writing along on the credentials you had previously established, and, and so the Firefox plugin you're recommending is called. It's called CSRF Protector. Okay. CSRF Protector. Um, and I looked through the reviews of it. Um, it looks like there was like a download. A couple of people had some downloading problems with it. It was written by two good security researchers at Princeton um, who we've talked about before. Ed Felton. Oh, and Ed Felton's the greatest. Yeah. And Bill. Can't remember Not Bill's Cheswick. Name. Uh, Bill Zeller. Zeller, Bill Zeller okay. had okay. felt that I mean, they're on this, they're aware of the problem and they created this, this plugin that solves a class of problems. The problem is they couldn't block get requests, third party get requests because too many images are coming from third party servers. Right, right. But, but there's no reason ever that a, that a third party should be sending a post request that ought to always come only from the site you're visiting. And so they're able to say, okay, that's definitely a problem. And the the post is what servers that have blocked getting using the get verb, they will still be vulnerable to post because that's how you submit things. You've got to be able to submit things right. to to servers. So, so yeah, is so there s- anything like this for people who are using Internet Explorer or any other browser? I haven't run across a- anything for any other browser. They, for them... I would really say explicitly log off of your of important sites when you're not using them and and consider that that various kinds of mischief could be could occur for any sites where you have a persistent relationship. What because, if somebody says I never go to uh, bad sites, I only go to big name sites, so how could this happen to me? Well, uh, email, uh, anyone viewing email is able to do this. And you might well imagine that spammers could spray a spam containing an image tag, which contains the request um, that would. So so another reason to turn off HTML email and and preview panes and Outlook and things like that. We've said this before. This HTML email is dangerous. Wow, is it dangerous? Yep. Oh, boy. So if you're. I mean, I use Firefox, I guess, is <laughs> is one of the things. Install this, but you should probably get in the habit of logging out of these sites anyway. But the thing is, I there are a lot of sites that I don't consider, you know, uh, important that I, but I maintain a login to, including my blog and a lot well, of now, stuff. But they have to also, target those sites specifically. I have been impressed with Firefox's um, auto, uh, you know, password fill in. It does a good job of of that. And of right. course, I'm using Firefox three, I've got that protected with with my own master password. So, so that may, that reduces the onus of needing to reauthenticate when you go to a site. You got to remember, you know, what your username was. But as soon as you provide that, you know, Firefox will say, "Oh, here's the matching password. Off you go." So it makes it a lot easier. And and third parties cannot access that. There's no way for them to, to access the auto fill in stuff. All they can do is send a blind request to the site. So it is important that that not be valid. And the way to make sure that's not valid is just log off when you're done. And they would have to, so you'd have to go to a page or get an email that was targeting a specific site. I mean, because the, the JavaScript they're sending is, is very specific to that site. Yes, and I think that's one of the reasons that this hasn't really 
hit the radar screens very much. For example, a dig story that digs itself. Well, that's sort of fun. I mean, that's like, oh, well, you know, there's a high. Not for a high- Kevin. <laughs> 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 but I'm sure Dig's doing something to prevent that. Can they? Yes. Well, it, it's well known. It, this has been known for a while. So they, they may well have already resolved that. And uh, Amazon was told about this by one of the security researchers who's been leading this. And after and they were specifically told about the one click exploit. That is, you could go to someone's page, you could receive email and without you intending to something you did not want would be purchased. And one year later, they had not fixed it. So this guy went public with it after oh, a year. Good. Yeah, that said, yeah. look, you know, and he called it the, the Amazon anniversary. Now, it wouldn't be sophisticated enough to buy something and send it to another address. Well, now that's interesting because I don't you I know you're an Amazon user, Leo. Yeah. Anytime you do send it to another address, you must provide them with a, a new credit card or your existing Re-enter credit it. card yeah. and and credentials. So, Amazon is aware enough that they're not allowing you to do that without reauthenticating at that level. So the only way that you could really take advantage of this is by maybe forcing people to buy a product you were selling, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, but Amazon would catch you, I think. Yeah, well, you know, you would receive email like half an hour later saying, hey, just wanted to confirm your purchase. Right. And you say, wait a minute, I do not want right. elephant uh, <laughs> teeth. No, thank <laughs> you. No, no thank you. <laughs> wow, it, this is a, a, amazing. I I could see how with an e, you could do it. You could, if you knew a bank had a vulnerability, I could see why Ing might, you know, have been very vulnerable. You send emails to 12 million people. And if a f- 500 of them have Ing accounts, you're happy. Or uh, it has been used to exploit voting sites where you're voting for this or that. Right. They, people just send out spam and, you know, some number of people will, you know, in fact, there are some voting sites where you don't have to log in or create an account, but they log you when you vote so you can't vote again. So there you don't even need a persistent connection. So they just they spray spam out anybody who displays it. Puts a vote in for what they want. So you really, you have to turn off HTML email. You have to turn off that preview pane. Yeah. That's it's, deadly. That is deadly. Too, too frightening. Just, I mean, it would just happen. You wouldn't have to click anything or anything. You wouldn't even have to read the email. Just the fact that it's I, in the preview pane triggers I, it. Right. Because, because the act of displaying it causes a request to go out. And it turns out that so many sites will now allow a will will now do something from a uh, from, from a request. I should mention I forgot to mention that the updated RFCs for for h for for for, for web surfing for http state explicitly state that the get verb should never be used for modifying content on the server. It should never uh-huh. be used to make changes. It should only be used as it sounds for getting something from the server. So so traditionally, you could do the same things with get that you could with post. Um, now the RFCs are specifically saying, uh-uh, only retrieve information. So hopefully that will migrate into practice with time because get is more powerful than post because an, just an image tag um, causes a, a, a web page to attempt to retrieve that image and right. get whatever it is, right. whereas you need you do need scripting 
enabled in order for the post command approach to work. Got it. But as we know, most people have scripting enabled too. You sometimes you feel like Paul Revere saying, "The bad guys are coming. The bad guys are coming." It's just amazing. What, what, it's also impressive how sophisticated these things are. The, the 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 trick you talked about to steal credit card information at the beginning of the show, or or this. These it's sad because these guys that are figuring this stuff out are smart guys. They're very yeah. smart, and yeah. you know if they would turn their brains to useful stuff instead of. This kind of stuff, just think what they could accomplish. It's well, really and, sad. and the reason I think maybe Paul Revere was right, as of course he ended up being, um, was that in, in our context today, this, what we're doing with the net, the net itself, and, and Web 2.0 applications, they're becoming more and more powerful. Banks don't want to see us anymore. It's expensive for them to maintain a retail facade and smiling people, you know, behind the, 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 the teller window, they, they're encouraging and pushing people by policy to use online banking, to use the Internet more and more. And, and we're seeing example after example of that. So we can only assume this is going to become more pervasive. It's necessary to educate users and to educate the services about how to make this more secure. So it's certainly worth doing. Yeah. Steve Gibson, as usual, you've really, uh, I'm glad we uh, we came back uh, and circled around and talked about this. You've, you've pointed out something really f- both fascinating and scary, cross-site request forgery. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, log off important sites, yep. download the Firefox plugin. Uh, if you're using Firefox, the plugin's in early beta. So, you know, some people are having trouble downloading it, I see. Uh, and then finally, um, websites, stop using Get. You know, you can yeah. you can design it if you use post and you check refers, you can avoid this entirely. Right. Yes. Checking refers is, is another solution. Uh, there are some strange sites that check refers, but still allow no refers because some users block referrers. They have like mm. um, Proxometron, for example, you're able to strip referrers out of your outgoing request. Well, apparently that that, well, that would break those sites that were that were requiring a matching referrer. So they said, "Oh, okay. If the referrer is present and wrong, then we'll block it because that we know is a third party, right. and so we want to protect that." They said, "But if there's no referrer header, then we want to allow that because we don't know if it's a first party or third party request." Well, the problem is JavaScript can can null the referrer or change the referrer. Wow. So that's not a robust solution. It's better than nothing, but a, a really good solution is to is, is to actually provide a one-time token with the form, and when it comes back, verify it. Thank you, Steve Gibson. Don't forget to go to grc.com. That's where Steve hides all the good stuff. Spin rights there, of course, his incredible disk maintenance and recovery utility, a must-have for anybody with a hard drive. I'm, I go through hard drives now like candy. They're so they're so cheap. They're hundred bucks for a seven hundred fifty gig hard drive, and you better believe I spin right each and every one yep. before I use it. At that size, you better. Um, of course, he has a great array of free stuff there as well, including Shields Up um, and Wizmo, a fun little toy. It's all, and the show sixteen kilobit versions are available there as well as uh, transcripts and show notes too. Thank you, Steve. We'll talk again uh, next week. See you, Leo. Bye-bye. Security now.